Support for NPR and the following message come from Carvana, on a mission to make car buying more convenient and affordable than ever before. In minutes, you can browse thousands of options under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today to get started. I'm a 73-year-old veteran, combat veteran. I have a few aches and pains. I view Kratom as just a natural thing that works. I have been a daily user for the last three years. At my highest dose, I was taking 20 grams a day. Currently, I'm taking 7 grams a day. It gets rid of pain. It's easier for me to do tasks during the day. It can be abused just like anything else. I was using it to help with ADHD, to help slow and calm my brain down so I could get work done. And it was effective with that. Kratom is a federally legal, unregulated substance that about 1.7 million Americans consume each year. It comes from a tropical tree native to Southeast Asia. Its leaves are ground into a green powder that you might find at gas stations and smoke shops. But not all experiences with the substance are as positive as the ones we just heard. I was addicted to Kratom for about four years. I went in that time $30,000 in credit card debt. I tried to come off of it many, many, many times and had terrible, terrible withdrawals, uh, worse than even heroin. As of this week, I have chronic kidney disease, may have lesions on my pancreas, waiting for the MRI back on that. I took 210 capsules a day uh, by the end of my addiction. Kratom is no good and they should start slapping people in jail and definitely schedule it. Kratom is estimated to be a $1.5 billion industry in the U.S., but it's not a federally scheduled drug. And the FDA does warn consumers not to use it for medical treatment. The Drug Enforcement Administration lists it as a drug and chemical of concern. Down in Florida, reporters from the Tampa Bay Times totaled Kratom-related deaths in their state and found that over the last decade, 46 people in Florida overdosed on Kratom alone. For this latest installment of Local Spotlight, where we cover local stories that deserve national attention, we take a closer look at Kratom. Is its effect on users more positive or negative, and why is it unregulated? I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We talk to those reporters right after the break. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Let's introduce our guests for today. With us from WUSF in Tampa is Helen Freund. She's the Tampa Bay Times food and dining critic. Helen, welcome to the program. 
Hi, thanks for having us. Also joining us from WUSF is Sam Ogazalik, health reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. Sam, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. And also with us from Gainesville, Florida, is Christopher McCurdy. He's a professor of medicinal chemistry at the University of Florida. Chris, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me included. Helen, you started reporting the story nearly two years ago in March of 2022. What made you want to learn more about Kratom and how it's being used in Florida? Yeah, it really kind of started out, uh, you know, as a lot of stories do, as a completely different story. We were looking into why St. Petersburg, Florida and the Tampa Bay area in particular had such a large number and a growing number of kava bars. So I started going to these places and talking to some of the, the owners there and talking to people that were there. And it became pretty clear that while people were drinking kava, they were definitely also drinking kratom. And the majority of the sales, a lot of these owners told me, really was coming from kratom. And so we decided to look a little bit closer at that. Um, you know, people were using it for a number of reasons. A lot of people were in recovery and, you know, they said that it really helped them curb their opiate use. Uh, a lot of people used it for anxiety and depression. Uh, some people had chronic pain. And around the same time, I also started getting in contact with a few parents and relatives of people who said that medical examiner reports showed that their loved ones had actually died of a kratom-related overdose. Now, at the time, the dominant narrative was really that it was impossible to die from a kratom overdose. And so we started to look into that a little bit, a little bit closer, just because that did interest us. And um, there were a couple of wrongful death lawsuits at the time that had been filed. But over the course of the last two years, there's been a a number more that have have occurred. Um, What we first did to kind of figure out what the the scale and scope was here in, in our backyard was I requested autopsy and toxicology reports where kratom was listed as the cause of death or one of the contributing causes of death just for our, our local Tampa Bay area. So a couple of counties and for the last five years. Well, well and- let's let's pause for a moment because I, I first want us to better understand what Kratom actually is. Chris, it, it's a Southeast Asian tropical tree. People have consumed this plant for its medicinal properties for hundreds of years. What effect does it have? Yeah, Kratom has a, a stimulant effect as well as a sort of opioid-like effect, and it depends on the dose. So as people take low doses, it's been indicated to have this stimulant-like effect. Um, And as they increase their doses, there tends to be more of an opioid or sedative and euphoric-like effect. Um, This comes from the, the chemical components within the plant that interact with many systems in our body. They do interact with opioid systems, but they also interact with serotonin systems, which we know are involved in mood regulation. And they also interact with adrenergic systems, which are some of the targets for stimulants um, like cocaine or methamphetamine. Now, I'm not saying this is like cocaine or methamphetamine. I'm just saying that those are the types of targets that would cause uh, stimulant-like effect. Now, the Tampa Bay Times found 578 kratom-related overdoses in Florida over the last decade. In most of those cases, autopsies found other substances in people's bodies. Over three quarters involved fentanyl. Six died from combining the plant with alcohol, but 46 people overdosed on kratom only. Uh, Sam, Helen was starting to explain this, but how did you come up with this count of kratom-related deaths in the state? Sure. Um, We filed public records requests with medical examiners um, throughout the state. There's several different districts. And we specifically looked at cases where kratom or metragenine or mitragynine, there's different pronunciations, um, one of the key chemical compounds in kratom was listed as a cause of death or a contributing factor. Now, there's also hundreds of deaths in the state 
um, that we didn't look at and include in this count where metragenine, metragynine was just listed as being present. So, you know, a toxicology test found it as being present in the, the person's system. Um, we specifically looked at cases where it was a cause of death or contributing factor. Um, and that was basically just, like I said, um, getting the documents themselves, either paper copies or digital, and putting together this database. And we found that uh, 587, more than 580 people over the past decade had died from these kratom-related overdoses. Now, the American Kratom Association, that's a nonprofit lobbying organization that advocates for access to kratom, disputed your methods for counting kratom-related overdoses. In a press release following your reporting, it says in part, quote, without a standardized toxicology testing protocol, the data cannot be relied upon to support the conclusion offered, end quote. And it then referenced a letter from the New England Journal of Medicine in which researchers analyzed deaths that had initially been attributed to Kratom alone and later determined other substances were involved. I mean, Helen, Sam, I want to hear your response to that because the American Kratom Association also suggests that just because Kratom was present, it doesn't mean it contributed to the deaths. Sam? Sure. Medical examiners follow a process. You know, they they conduct an autopsy. Um, they'll look for is there a natural cause of death here. You know, they'll check the heart, the lungs, etc. And you know, if they suspect a drug related death and overdose, um, they will seek uh, toxicology testing. Um, some medical examiners in this state have labs um, in house. Um, others will go to a lab. Um, outside of the state. And they'll get the results. And, you know, there's also investigators employed by medical examiners' offices who, in some cases, respond to the scene, you know, look what was found there, um, interview family members. And so when the toxicology results come back, the medical examiner will sit there and look at all of the different pieces of the puzzle, um, the, the investigator notes, the toxicology results, and what they found at autopsy. And that's how they come up with uh, a cause of death. That's that's how they make their determination. So there's a lot of factors at play, and like I said earlier, you know, there's there's hundreds of cases in this state where medical examiners decided that the cause of death was not kratom, even though metragenine, mitragynine was found in their in their system. So again, you know, this these were cases where the the medical examiner looked at the evidence, looked at what they had done, and determined that this was the cause of death or one of the causes of death. You know, like I think you mentioned earlier, uh, the vast majority of these cases were due to a fatal mixture of multiple different substances, kratom, and at least one other substance. So let's pause here. Coming up, we talk about what research says about the possible benefits of kratom, and without rules for labeling, how do users know how much kratom they're taking? I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. 
On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from one of you. My name is Nikita. I've been taking Kratom for a little over seven years for my chronic migraines and fibromyalgia. Um, Before Kratom, I was given things like opioids and other muscle relaxers, stuff like that from doctors that just weren't good for me, my health, or my productivity. Um, And Kratom was the first thing I ever found that both acted like caffeine and gave me energy to do stuff, but also helped my pain in a way that previously only narcotics had. Um, But without all the drawbacks, um, without being like the loss of productivity, if anything, it made me more productive. Um, I've been a pretty big fan since I found it as kind of my miracle uh, cure. Nikita, thanks for that message. Chris, how much research has there been into Kratom and its effect on the human body? So it's a it's a great question because the human research is completely um, behind the eight ball in this case. We we really don't know much in humans uh, scientifically, but we do know a lot anecdotally. And just as you heard, um, there there are many people that indicate that it's been a a miracle substance for them or or a great way to combat. Um, their their pain, uh, their anxiety, some of these things. But those anecdotal reports really don't give us any clear clinical idea of what doses were used, what outcomes are really being sought, um, you know, and, and how things are being monitored in a, in a typical clinical way. Um, unfortunately, we're just very behind in getting um, that clinical work done. Uh, mo- most of that is because of the way that the government is set up in terms of the abilities for those types of studies and trials to be carried out in humans uh, and the safety that has to be achieved before you can really look for efficacy. And so um, I can mention that the FDA has just finished a, a clinical trial uh, looking at safety, uh, and the results aren't finalized yet, and it won't be out for uh, a, a while. Um, but it gives you an indication that the FDA is is looking to see where safe levels of this can be. And that's the first step in really driving a clinical outcome. And so part of what I'm hearing you say is that it's about understanding not just the benefits and the potential dangers of Kratom, but it's also about understanding if it's usable, a proper dosage is because we know people can react to any substance in different ways and there needs to be at least some kind of baseline of understanding around what dosing should look like. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've we've long lived by the adage in medicine that the poison is the dose. Uh, and and that's off, obviously um, the case with uh, uh, any substance, but particularly with a substance that we really don't understand how it works uh, in humans, where the dose limitations are. Um, everything has 
a, a benign dose where nothing will happen. Then there's um, doses where effects will start to be seen, whether those are positive or negative. And then certainly there's the extreme where you would start to see negative effects. And um, this, is, this is something that's completely unknown at this time in humans. Jonathan Dampf died while after overdosing on Kratom only in 2021. The Tampa Bay Times talked to his widow, Katie Krause, and his brother, Chris Dampf. Most little boys, when they're young, you know, they want to be a firefighter, a police officer. John just wanted to be a dad. He loved people. He loved God, and he loved just bringing people together. He would open his house. They would have like 100 people come to do Bible study. Everybody else would just be like in rows back there and rows over there. And I you know, said up and down the stairs, it was wherever you could fit. Jonathan's big thing, especially like right out of recovery, was being extremely involved in the recovery community. I think my brother, what, he was a sponsor for maybe like maybe four, oh, yeah, 100, 150 people. Like he sponsored anyone who came to him who asked him to sponsor, he said yes. Helen, what struck you about Jonathan's story? Yeah, Jonathan's uh, case was really one that stuck out to us pretty early on, um, in particular because it was a Kratom-only overdose, but also his story that really mimicked a lot of people's stories that come to South Florida, um, you know, in the throes of addiction, looking for sobriety. Jonathan Dampf did this, and he found it really quickly. He got sober within a couple of, a couple of months, and then he really became like a beacon in the community, and he acted as a sponsor, like you just heard his brother say, for, you know, maybe more than 100 people. Um, he did also suffer from depression and anxiety, and when we spoke to his wife and his family members, that was really the the picture that they painted, that that was why he started using Kratom. Um, he also used it because he said, you know, he found this narrative that that said that it was all natural, it was legal, it was very widely available to him everywhere, it wasn't regulated, um, and and he really did think and believe, I, I think, you know, that it was going to help him with the issues that he was facing. Um, he did then uh, tell his wife that he had a hard time stopping when he did try to stop, and then eventually, uh, you know, obviously he, he did take too much one night and, and ended up dying. We heard similar stories from some of our listeners. Here's one. I've been recovering from heroin addiction. I've been clean for going on four years. I had a relapse, though, and the relapse I blame on the use of Kratom. Because I had an extended period of time without being on heroin, and then when I started using the Kratom, it actually acted as a trigger for me. And it was only a matter of time till I got back into the heroin because it gives you a lot of the same euphoric feelings when you take a lot. Thanks for that message. Chris, give us a little more insight into how Kratom operates, as much as we know about this, how it operates in our bodies in a way that might mimic some of the experience people have when using opioids. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very complex, complicated um question because what we've learned uh, doing a lot of the basic science research and research in animals is that this this uh, plant has many, many compounds within it. And those compounds are called alkaloids and they actually interact with many uh, receptor systems in our body. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we it can interact with the opioid system. It can interact with um, adrenergic systems and serotonergic systems as well as other systems in our body. And it's really this complex symphony orchestra that I look at of, of many compounds uh, together. 
working together in sort of concert. Um, and what we've learned about each of these, we've taken them individually out and looked at them uh, as a single instrument sort of on full blast. And we've learned that some of these compounds certainly interact only with opioid receptors, but the majority of these compounds are interacting with all of these receptors that I mentioned and even more. And then it becomes like a mixing board of instruments um, at different levels depending on a product. And I think the bottom line really comes down to understanding that not all kratom is equal. Uh, and we've, we've published some on that. And just saying that kratom as a whole or kratom um, is lumped into a category like we would lump alcohol into a category. And we have a variety of products from very uh, more or less benign products like leaf material itself to very highly concentrated and potent extract materials um, that can cause a much higher exposure much faster and, and potentially harm or danger much faster. Sam, in addition to counting kratom-related deaths in Florida, the Tampa Bay Times analyzed the contents of kratom sold in various forms across the state. Walk us through that process. Yeah, pretty early on, um, we learned that um, UF is one of the the leading research centers on kratom. Dr. McCurdy, Dr. Abhishek Sharma, um, everyone there, um, they're some of the foremost experts in this particular area, and they developed a way to quantify um, the levels of these chemical compounds, alkaloids, in kratom products um, going beyond just mitragynine, mitragynine. That's, that's the one most people talk about. And so as we begin to learn more about this, um, you know, I drive to gas stations and visit smoke shops to get a better understanding of what's actually on the market. Um, we wanted to have a sense as to what are the levels of these other alkaloids in these products? What aren't companies putting on the labeling? Because often what you'll see is, you know, they'll, they'll list the milligrams or percentage of mitragynine, mitragynine in a product. But none of the other alkaloids or only one other alkaloid um, or nothing at all. You know, we, we bought products um, where there was no label whatsoever. It was just a plastic bag full of green powder. And so we wanted to give a readers a sense as to what's actually in this stuff. And we thought that UF would be the best place to turn to given uh, the testing methodology they had developed. And so that's uh, what we ended up doing. We brought 20 products up to UF, and some of the findings were really interesting. I mean, we, we to s speaking to Dr. McCurdy's point that not all kratom is equal, we, we took one product up there, this uh, three-tablet pack, um, where the level of 7-hydroxymitragynine, it's a uh, potent kratom alkaloid, uh, a metabolite of mitragynine, uh, it was just extremely high. Um, often you'll see low levels um, in products, but this particular one had extreme levels. Um, Dr. Sharma at UF compared it to legal morphine. So I think that gives you a sense as to there, there's a real range of products on the market, and we wanted to better understand that. Well, I, Helen, what types of labeling standards exist for Kratom? Uh, well, there really aren't any. So companies aren't really required to put, you know, dosing, um, a list of ingredients, uh, 
any sort of medical disclaimers. Um, but, you know, some of them definitely do. Um, what we found was a real, like, wide variety of products that had, you know, all of the above. But a lot of them also did sell without any dosing instructions, a list of ingredients, or sometimes, like Sam said, a label at all. And what that does is it really leaves it leaves it up to customers to determine how safe that product is, um, how much they should take, whether they shouldn't be taking it with any other over-the-counter prescription medication they might be on. Don emailed, I am 62 years old, and I drink a small amount of Kratom tea daily. It's the only thing that works to combat my pain. Emily emailed, I've used Kratom for eight years for chronic pain and fibromyalgia. While I... Rather, I have a physically disabled 12-year-old who depends on me to move and take care of him, plus a full-time job. Without Kratom, I would hardly be able to move. We also heard from Topher in St. Louis who emailed, Every branch of the U.S. military has some form of regulation that states we are not allowed to take altering substances. This phrasing has been used to demote, discharge, or court-martial military members who have used Kratom. And in 2022, the DOD added Kratom to its list of prohibited substances that should not be purchased or consumed by a member of the armed forces. So to come, without federal rules, how states have stepped in to regulate Kratom. Back with more in a moment. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message is brought to you by Wondery. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura protects residents from global catastrophes. But a dark secret threatens Pura's very existence. Binge all episodes of The Last City ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Let's turn now to Jessica Speranza. Jessica died in St. Petersburg, Florida in 2021. Here's the Tampa Bay Times with her mother, Linda. The night before she passed, she had a seizure, you know, and it's happened before, and she'll take her meds, whatever. She fell asleep. The toxicology report said that she had massive amounts of this kratom in her system. They put accident, and the cause was the overdose of that whole long word that they used for kratom. My daughter was a beautiful, loving person, and I just don't want this to happen to anyone else's child. The Times found a link between kratom overdoses and seizures. Ten people who overdosed solely on Kratom had previously suffered from seizures. And according to the Times reporting, at least two people started having seizures after they began using Kratom. Helen, tell us more about Jessica and her story. Yeah, um, Jessica was one of the first cases I came across, um, mostly because it is uh, she was one of those first local cases I looked at. And, um, you know, she was 30 years old. She did have a history of using of drug use. Um, but most of all, she told her mother and her friends and family that she had started taking Kratom and started taking it quite excessively uh, for her chronic pain. She was in a lot of pain. And as the years went by, that sort of worsened. And um, she did start having seizures after she started using using Kratom, according to her mother. And, um, you know, at first they were uh, just here and there. Then they became more frequent. Um, she was hospitalized or taken to the hospital at least three times. And um, 
she had been taken to a neurologist and she had gotten um, some scans done and some tests and nothing was really conclusive. She hadn't been diagnosed with anything um, that would indicate why she was having these seizures. And so shortly before she passed, um, like you just heard her her mother say, she did have a seizure. Um, and then the next morning she she died. We got this email from Barbara, who writes, My late boyfriend was addicted to Kratom. He knew it was lowering his threshold for seizures, a condition he had, but it took it anyway. I came home to find him having a grand mal seizure with a large cup of Kratom juice next to him. After that, he still took Kratom. He eventually died of a grand mal seizure while he still had the addiction to the drug. It should be banned. Chris, what do we know about the link between Kratom use and seizures? Yeah, this is really an interesting um, uh, result that's been more and more reported in Poison Control Center data that we've looked at as well. Um, Normally, opioids don't cause seizures. They cause respiratory depression and death. And what does cause seizures are stimulant-like drugs like cocaine. Um, And so the deaths that have been reported or overdoses that have been reported, I should say, to poison control centers much more resemble that of a stimulant overdose, like a cocaine overdose, than they do actually resemble anything opioid-like. And so we've noticed this in animals as well. If we push doses, and again, uh, very high doses that normally wouldn't be in the therapeutic range, these are beyond the therapeutic range. And I should I should put the caveat that all of our studies are very acute, so we're not looking at anything long-term in animals. Um, and so these are short-term studies, so the animals haven't developed any kind of tolerance or any um, familiarity with that substance. Uh, and so they can quickly... Um, get to toxic levels if they're naive. And we see seizures as one of the high-end results. And interestingly enough, we try to provide those animals with Narcan, just like you would in an opioid overdose, um, but it does nothing to the seizure. And sometimes the animals will die. Or sometimes they will sp- spontaneously recover. We got this question from Michelle in Michigan who wants to know, is Kratom available to minors? Sam, in, in Florida... Who can access this substance? Yeah, legislators um, last session, not this current one, um, prohibited sales to those younger than 21. Um, but you, like, like you said, you know, there's uh, – it's not federally scheduled. Um, there's no age restriction at the federal level. Um, it might depend state to state. Um, Kratom is listed as illegal in six states and several municipalities and counties, in, including Sarasota County here in here in Florida. So as you say, Kratom is a legal product. It's unregulated by the FDA, but there are these state-level um, rules regulating Kratom products. And Florida, just give us a brief summary of what some of those laws do. Well, right now, I mean, at this point, it's just the, the age restriction. So with federal, federal officials doing little to oversee the herb, um, this industry group, the American Kratom Association, has, has emerged as the predominant force in setting regulations um, that govern the industry at the state level. Um, that was one of our findings in the investigation. And the association has backed legislation in states across the country, including Florida. And what we found, our analysis showed that the primary focus of the bills touted by the association is, is consumer protection acts is to preserve the right to buy and sell Kratom rather than institute um, key guardrails for businesses and those who take it. Um, for example, we found that most of the bills don't require companies to list on product labels um, the quantity of, of uh, mitragynine or mitragynine. 
Um, you know, none of the bills limit the amount of that compound and products. Um, only one version of the bill would have required that companies warn consumers about the risk of combining kratom with other substances. And so, um, you know, many scientists who study kratom don't think prohibition is the answer. Like I said, there are some bans around the country. Um, you know, they view the, the, the substance as a safer alternative to some of these dangerous drugs driving the opioid epidemic. Um, but they've also told us there's ways to make the marketplace safer. And um, at this point in Florida, um, kind of speaking to a point Helen brought up earlier, consumers are left largely on their own to evaluate the safety of these products and, and the legit uh, legitimacy of their claims. I just want to mention that the American Kratom Association um, sent us an email in response to your reporting that it says was filed as, as part of a court case involving Kratom imports. The letter is from the U.S. Attorney's Office, and it explains why the FDA is not supporting the DOJ's case with documents or testimony ahead of a sentencing hearing. Quote, the reason the FDA gave was that they have not yet made a determination regarding whether Kratom is dangerous, end note. And we should note the FDA currently has an import alert on Kratom that allows it to block shipments into the U.S. I mean, Sam, give us a little more context here about, especially around why the FDA is not regulating the Kratom industry. Sure. And just, just, I mean, the FDA declined repeated interview requests to speak with Times reporters, to speak with us. You know, so, you know, in a statement, they said they've taken action when unlawful Kratom products enter the market. You know, they'll issue warning letters or seize material from manufacturers. Um, the agency also works with customs officials to stop Kratom from entering the country of ports, and that, that's according to a spokesperson. Um, the FDA has previously supported a Kratom ban, but the agency's efforts have collapsed. Um, opposition from lobbyists and consumers and, and regulators also haven't been able to agree on the threat posed by the substance, and it's not a conventional food nor an approved drug. And the it, Kratom doesn't neatly fit into any regulatory box at the federal level. And companies have repeatedly tried to get the FDA to sign off on products as dietary supplements. And that's under an industry-friendly framework that was pushed by lobbyists decades ago. And those efforts haven't convinced the FDA. It hasn't signed off. And to be fair, researchers acknowledge that the kratom industry is challenging the govern. You know, because so much remains unknown, as Dr. McCurdy has said a couple of times now, you know, no serving size is proven efficacious, no is there an agreed upon toxic dose. So there there are some unknowns um, affecting this also. Helen, what questions were left unanswered for you as you completed this year's long investigation? You know, I, I think I'm still really curious about what research will show going forward. Um, like Dr. McCurdy mentioned and Sam as well, there's just so much that's still unknown. Um, and I'd really – I'd love to know whether at some point there will be a dose that's proven beneficial, whether it can be something that can really be regulated and, and help people. And Chris, that brings me to you. What are the barriers you face as a researcher in getting a better understanding about the substance and, and what it does to our bodies? Yeah, so the, the the first thing is that it has not been put into a federal schedule, which is really helping to get research done faster because once it's a scheduled substance, you have to have specialty license to be able to handle that. So since we don't have to deal with that, that's really helped to accelerate research. But the barriers are really within our own constraints in our government system of moving um, things that have been widely used in the public uh, – safely or, uh, unfortunately, uh, in some cases where there's been harm and even death, um, like uh, Kratom, 
it, it should be easy for us to go in and do a clinical trial in humans, yet we still have to, to go through all of the um, bureaucracy and, and paperwork and whatnot to get this done. And so just to give an example, we looked at um, the FDA's clinical trial was uh, just uh, a fixed number of single doses um, and that, that that whole project has been going on for two years and we've ended up with uh, six total different doses in groups of individuals to give us just a safety barrier. And so, you know, I, I mean, we could go with anecdotal evidence all day long and say, look, we have this clear indication that these doses and this um, substance, let's say the leaf material brewed as a tea seems to be safe and potentially efficacious. Why can't we just immediately go into human trials with this when, you know, millions of people are out there on the streets doing it already? Those are the biggest barriers and frustrations that we have from the research community. Well, we have just a little over a minute left here, and I'd love to hear from each of you what you hope people leave this conversation understanding about Kratom. Sam, I'll come to you first. Honestly, I, I, I hope people understand that this substance uh, exists and uh, like take away, you know, some idea of um, what the potential inter- like interactions are with other drugs. Um, they have an idea of what the pharmacology is, or at least what the science shows thus far. Um, you know, when I first started reporting on this and told others, you know, they had never heard of it. And so just the fact that we're getting this information out there, I hope, is beneficial to people seeing Kratom advertised in smoke shop windows. Helen, what about for you? Yeah, honestly, I'd have to echo exactly that. I mean, I think when we started this, so many people I spoke with had never heard of Kratom before. Um, And even as we were nearing publishing, you know, a year and a half later, people still hadn't heard of it. So I do hope that people now are more educated. They they recognize it when they see it in the windows of smoke shops and they understand um, that it's not regulated and that there is still a lot unknown. And Chris, as someone researching this substance, what do you hope people step away from this conversation understanding more about? I, I I really hope that um, people would understand that we just don't know very much right now from a science standpoint. And if you are interested in experimenting with or using the substance, you would start at an extremely low uh, amount and use powdered leaf material. Don't use liquid extracts um, and those types of products as a first experience. Um, Making teas is the weakest sort of extraction that you can do with water. Uh, Not saying that it's safe because we don't have that data yet, um, but certainly the anecdotal evidence points in that direction. And we just need to get more education out there. So I thank you for uh, featuring this topic. And as always, before you do anything, talk to your own doctor. We're talking to Christopher McCurdy. He's a professor of medicinal chemistry at the University of Florida, where he studies Kratom. Helen Freund, the dining and food critic at the Tampa Bay Times. And Sam Okazalik, the health reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. Sam, Helen, Chris, thank you. Today's show was produced by Avery Jessa Chapnick and edited by Matthew Simonson. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.
This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at BetterHelp.com slash NPR to get 10% off your first month. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR.